Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. For years. I'm Nick Smith. You've been watching News Nation Now. Thank you so much for joining me. Here's a look at our primetime lineup, including a special town hall event tonight on Cuomo. But first, The Hill starts right now. The two leading candidates for president facing parallel investigations. President Trump faces another possible criminal indictment. The Biden family has problems of its own. Devin Archer, that is Hunter Biden's former business partner, testified before lawmakers on Capitol Hill today. He is the former friend and business associate of President Biden's son, Hunter. Republicans are seeking to reveal what connection, if any, exists between President Biden and the business dealings of his son. We learned Allegedly, there were at least 20 such interactions. Welcome to The Hill on News Nation. I'm Leland Vitter. Great panel with us. Chris Steyerwalt, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist Bill McGinley, McKinley, uh, former Trump White House cabinet secretary and principal at the Vogel Group. First tonight, the ongoing House Republican investigation the business dealings of Hunter Biden. News Nation Chief Washington Correspondent Blake Berman with more on today's deposition of Devin Archer. All right, Blake, we've been looking for this connection that Republicans promised they have between Hunter yeah. and Joe Biden. Did we get it today? Well, uh, depends on who you ask. Uh, there's, there's two sides clearly to this one, Leland. Uh, members of the House Oversight Committee interviewed Devin Archer for four hours earlier today. This took place behind closed doors, by the way. He, as you just mentioned, uh, is the former business partner, former best friend of Hunter Biden. Now, Republicans called him in trying to connect Joe Biden to Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. According to a Democratic member on the committee, Archer testified that Hunter Biden would put his father then the vice president, on speakerphone with potential business partners. But he says there was nothing nefarious about that. Listen here. When one of them called the other, um, that Hunter Biden would uh, ask his father to say hello to whomever he was at dinner. He said there were sometimes when it was friends and sometimes when it was uh, potential business partners or business partners. But the witness was unequivocal and stated very clearly that they never discussed any business on that phone conversations. Okay, so that's what you will hear from Democrats. Here's the top Republican on the committee. James Comer released the following. 
saying, quote, Devin Archer's testimony today confirms Joe Biden lied to the American people when he said he had no knowledge about his son's business dealings and was not involved. Joe Biden was the brand that his son sold around the world to enrich the Biden family. So there's Democrats, there's Republicans. What about Archer? Well, his attorney released this statement to News Nation in part saying the following, quote, We are aware that all sides are claiming victory following Mr. Archer's voluntary interview today, but all Devin Archer did was exactly what he said he would, show up and answer the questions put to him honestly and completely. By the way, Leland, separately here... Three different Republican-led committees today also sent a letter to the Attorney General Merrick Garland asking him to respond to Hunter Biden's plea deal that you remember uh, a federal judge shot down last week involving his tax and gun possession charges at the heart of that one. They're basically saying they want to know over the past decade if anyone got the kind of deal from the DOJ that Hunter Biden got um, or at least got, but then was reversed. Or <laughs> got, got and then didn't take and reversed and the mess melted down. Yeah. All right. Blake, thank you very much. With that, we bring in uh, the panel. First, Chris, uh, start with you. Reasonable people, it seems like, can now agree that when President Biden said, I never talked to my son about any of his business dealings, he was not being fully candid. Yeah, I, I think the problem here is that Biden knew what his son was doing. Uh, and whether he, I, I, I've seen no evidence that Biden was part of it in the way that he was working with his son or making right. it happen. But he knew why his son was putting uh, him on speakerphone with these people. Uh, he was not oblivious to these things, and presumably he was content to help his son try to make a bunch of money on this. And Hunter Biden's belief that he was owed a living. Uh, by the fact that his father was the vice president of the United States and the fact that Hunter Biden thought that he was, uh, he was what, what do they say, he was born on third base and he thought he hit a triple, uh, that uh, Hunter, Hunter Biden continues to be this massive problem for his dad and his dad continues to have obvious problems in bringing his son into line and dealing with his son in a way that is in everybody's best interests. And the Republicans are going to keep doing this for as long as they can. Yeah, and the fact that the, the Julie, I think the fact that the plea deal all melted down mm-hmm. gives enormous new fire to this, exactly. a new new life. Yeah, because this isn't going away, and you're having you're seeing Karine Jean Pierre and White House comms people having to constantly ask answer these questions about Hunter Biden, whether it's the plea deal, whether it's this testimony, whether it's quite frankly, um, you know, his, his child. Really, it is just a drip oh, drip yeah. of really bad news for Hunter Biden, and it comes at a time when his father's campaign doesn't need this, obviously. So, well, it's no, not no campaign away. ever, ever, no, no right? campaign. No, no. About Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's long time friend, former business partner, co-investment from Rosemont Seneca with Hunter Biden on the board of Ukrainian national gas firm Burisma, 22, uh, 2022 sentenced for defrauding a Native American tribe of more than 60 million in tribal bonds. Um, people could argue, uh, Kurt Bardella, that birds of a feather flock together, uh, to, to quote the old saying. I guess the question is this. During the 2020 campaign, a lot of the argument by Democrats was Donald Trump is effectively corrupt and he yeah. is, is, has all these unpleasantries and un, unsavory business practices. Bring in the white knight, Joe Biden, who's clean as a preacher sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't make that argument in 2024 anymore. Well, I think... You must know something about... <laughs> Chris, Chris really liked that yeah, line I, there. I, that's, a, that's a new one even to me. All right. Oh, yeah. that, that, got, that got him chuckling. Look at it. Um, 
Listen, I do think we need to distinguish here the expectations that were set by Republicans, by Jim Comer, by Jim Jordan, that they had some kind of smoking gun that would illustrate they had proof that Joe Biden knew about specifics involving Hunter Biden's business dealings. That simply isn't what we heard today. Unquestionable. That, like, the expectation game here is being horribly mismanaged, in my opinion, as someone who did this work for House Oversight Republicans, you don't go out there and make pronouncements that you don't have the testimony to back up. It just undercuts your narrative, and it's harder to make some of these points that we're hearing about the political impact on Joe Biden when Republicans are kind of cutting themselves off at the knees. If they didn't say anything, and then these things just kind of came out, and people could draw their conclusions one way, that would be potentially damaging, I think, to the Biden team. But when they're out there setting the expectations and they're falling so short of them, I think it blunts the impact politically on them. I think I'm going to take a different tact on this. I mean, we look at what the White House is doing. They suddenly changed tact. It wasn't that Hunter Biden, you know, wasn't aware. It's all of a sudden he's not in business with. So the White House is understanding that some of the walls that they've established are starting to crumble, that the White, the House Republicans are getting direct testimony about people who were in the room with te- personal knowledge. Joe Biden is showing up on the phone calls, laying hands on whatever enterprise they're doing, even if he doesn't specifically talk about business. Once again, Representative Goldman is acting as defense attorney, trying to paint the best uh, uh, theory of the case here for them. But what he's doing is also confirming what the Republicans are saying, which is that the vice president was involved in phone calls with Hunter Biden and his business associates and some of these potential clients from Ukraine, China, and some of the others. We have 20 that were identified today. We need to see who those were. And there's also some questions about a specific Russian oligarch who wasn't sanctioned right. in, in the conversations there. But still, I did, Kurt seems to have a pretty good point here, though, that Republicans keep saying we have, we have the goods, we have the receipts, and they always fall just a little bit short. Well, I think, I think it's actually the White House as well that keeps saying he wasn't involved. Mm-hmm. Now, he, now he's not in business. And so I think the White House walls are crumbling as well as, you know, the House Republicans need to manage the expectations. I don't disagree disagree with that. But but you can't forget how the White House is now suddenly changing on all this because the evidence is coming out that what they said before was... If the biggest evidence they have is ultimately that Joe Biden did the equivalent of a cameo and said hello and talked about the weather, that's not going to hold up. I'm getting uh, walls are closing in vibes from Trump's uh, term, right? Remember, like, it's coming. (laughs) Any moment, this is the one, this is the one, this is the one. But, but But I want to, if you'll let me, make, uh, I think Julia alluded to something that I I think really sums up this moment for Joe Biden and for the administration. On Friday, Joe Biden put out a statement to People magazine (laughs) acknowledging that he has a sixth grandchild. Seventh. Seventh grandchild uh, in Arkansas. And the story of this child who Hunter Biden fathered with a woman in Arkansas is subject of this intense paternity contest and all of these things. I think sums up the, the, the problem that Joe Biden has dealing with his son and all of these things. It took Maureen Dowd writing a searing, blistering column shaming Joe Biden for the way that he treated this little girl and the way that he talked about his grandchildren for them finally in a Friday night news dump to say, okay, yeah. Friday, Friday <laughs> during uh, the summer at 5 p.m. before People a magazine. Yeah. People, People magazine. Yeah. <laughs> Woof. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard Wolf before, but it always has the same effect when you drop it. Uh, 2024 race, Donald Trump is expanding his lead over his GOP rivals. He's now leading his closest opponent by 37 points in a new New York Times-Siena College poll. This morning, the former president predicted another indictment from special counsel Jack Smith at Truth Social Post, saying any day now about his peaceful and patriotic speech. All right, Bill, I... Should we just sort of stop the charade that 
from the Republican nomination race standpoint that the number of indictments matter? No, I, I don't think they do matter at okay. this point with the Republican base because every time he gets indicted, his poll numbers go up. And I think there is a large segment of the Republican primary voters who want somebody who will fight. And the indictments are just evidence of the persecution of the former president. Now, I also think that it's still early. We're sitting here at the beginning of August, and a lot can happen. We've seen it before, you know, candidates rising like a phoenix or coming from single digits to actually winning Iowa. But it doesn't look like that's happening right now. The next breakout moment is, of course, the debate on August 23rd to see whether one of these guys are gonna, and gals are going to be able to do that without Donald Trump potentially on the stage. And the more indictments we see, the more that people like Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, the rest of the field, they're going to get asked about this and they're presented with this question of I do I attack Trump or do I you know sidestep this because they know that this is a priority and this priority of hitting back against uh, federal law enforcement and their treatment of Trump is a priority for a lot of GOP primary voters. Let them debate so I can see who I might consider for <laughs> vice president. <laughs> uh, part, part of Trump's success is uh, a product of media siloing. So if you're a Republican voter, you don't hear much about uh, the things that Trump is being charged with. You don't get a lot of uh, in-depth coverage of, I mean, the stuff that came out in the in the uh, the in, indictment one point uh, one point one, uh, the updated charges are really damning, right? Those mm-hmm. really serious mm-hmm. stuff in terms of obstruction, in terms of those things. We've got the new charges coming in Georgia. We've got new charges coming, maybe in Washington. We have all these things. But if you were only watching. If, you're, if your face is in the stovepipe of right-wing news, you don't hear about that stuff. You just hear about Hunter Biden. You just hear about those things. And you think, Trump's fine. Hunter Biden's in big trouble. That's the big story. All right. The one thing I would add to that, though, is that I think the Trump campaign, and Trump in particular, has done a good job of inoculating himself by previewing these charges that keep coming down is more yeah, the worse the, the better the witch, yeah the worse the, the better hunt. the well, more they pile on the more that I'm fighting for you he, he's basically. also being aided and abetted by his fellow challengers who refuse to really lay a glove on him on this vulnerability mm-hmm. like any other campaign any other situation if your chief primary opponent was under this type of legal scrutiny, you'd be carpet bombing them with ads, with mailers, with phone calls, with everything. And that's not really happening right now. So Trump is getting a free pass from the people who are trying to convince voters that you should pick me, not Trump, but I'm not going to talk about this. In fact, I'm going to defend him when asked about it. I don't see how any of these people could hope to actually beat him when that's the narrative. And I think you're right. They're auditioning for vice president. A strategist told me a few weeks ago, imagine if Ron DeSantis was in the situation that Donald (laughs) Trump was in. He was like, do you think Donald Trump would tiptoe around this issue? Absolutely not. Not only is he not tiptoeing around, I I just want to bring this up, though. We we learned over the weekend from some reporting that Donald Trump is effectively paying his tens of millions of dollars of legal fees through campaign contributions. This is a guy who ran on saying, I'm this great businessman who's a billionaire who has all this money, and he is now asking single, you know, small-dollar donors to fund his legal defense, and they're doing it. And and DeSantis' campaign has started talking about the scam, uh, the grift of this, uh, and DeSantis Mm -hmm. himself is not going to put those words in his mouth yet, but he's letting spokespeople do it. Uh, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, we haven't heard much from Mike Pence and Tim Scott on this. They're pretty much hoping to be the um, in reserve that if DeSantis and Trump take each other out, they want to remain palatable to the others. But I do think you're hearing 
them talk about these issues, you're hearing this stuff more and more. It's just that, I, and I think this is a very good point, Trump is unfalsifiable. Every, every charge against him, everything that comes against him, if the premise is the deep state controls the world, all bad things will happen to me because I am, I am the, the champion of the people, then what are you going to say? No, then, then, then everything that comes, comes down the pipe that's bad, you... That's right. Of course, of course, of course, of course I'm course being indicted because I'm bringing down right. the deep state. All right. Uh, speaking of the one challenger that Mr. Steyerwald just brought up, Governor Ron DeSantis today unveiled his economic strategy. The plan includes a goal of 3% annual growth for the nation's economy, more aggressive action against China, and a priority on energy development. A little bit of what he said today, I believe, in New Hampshire. Any Republican that doesn't act on Democrat fraud should be immediately primaried and get out. Out. <laughs> He's really sounding like Trump these days. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know that guy who's on the stage. All right. Uh, we, I'm told we now actually have Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire. Take a listen. No, we don't have it, as a matter of fact. And that was not Donald Trump playing Ron DeSantis. We apologize. We'll try to get the soundbite. Correctly, uh, there's had to be a. We're going to have a little overhaul of the uh, gremlins in the computer system. Uh, meanwhile, Ron DeSantis had an overall of his campaign message and strategy, laid off more than a third of his campaign staff. He was also bringing in a new campaign advisor, Republican strategist Phil Cox joins us now. First interview in his new role. Phil, appreciate you being here. Uh, look, by virtue of the fact that you're now talking about economics, is this a tacit admission that war on woke? is not what the Republican primary electorate really cares about? Not at all. Uh, it's an admission that the, the Biden economic policies have been an utter disaster for working families in, in this country. Uh, Governor DeSantis understands that. That's why he laid out a substantive, forward-looking plan, take back our economy from China, from an out-of-control administrative state in Washington, D.C., and put it back where it belongs, which is in the hands of middle-class Americans. And the good news for Americans is that all you have to do is look at look to Florida. You got it done there. Um, it has the, the number one economy of any state in the country. Uh, great schools, educational freedom, educational choice, uh, surpluses, low debt ratio. Uh, things are working in Florida. That's why everybody's moving there. Um, okay, so Phil, Phil the forget, for forgive Americans me, though. I mean, I, st I studied economics. It's a little bit, bit of an obsession for mine. 3% growth, more aggressive action against China, priority and, and uh, energy development. That's not exactly swinging for the fences. This isn't some broad remake uh, or the opposite of a, of, of a remake of the American economy with a focus on certain things. It's, it's pretty bland Republican basic talking points. Well, the, the difference here is that Governor DeSantis has done many of the same things in Florida, and he got them done. So let's actually implement these policies. Let's get results. If Ron DeSantis says he's going to do something, you're going to see those results. And he did it in Florida, as I said before, number one economy of any state in the country, uh, great schools, budget surpluses. And so you can say it's problem, but the hard part about governing is actually standing up, continuing to fight, in implementing what you say you're going to do. Uh, Americans are sick and tired of politicians who just talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Ron DeSantis will right. get it done. All right, fair, fair enough. And I think reasonable people can disagree over whether the continuing to go back to the Florida argument works or not. 
uh, comparatively to what's happened on, on the train. I think Chris brought up a, a fascinating point uh, on the $40 million now that's being spent by Trump's pack of donor money on, on legal fees. How long, considering where Ron DeSantis is in the polls right now, 37 points back, how long can he afford to not directly confront Donald Trump and go after him on these kinds of issues and just allow the campaign and his pack and other surrogates to do it? Well, look, uh, the $40 million is, is an incredible amount of money to have paid uh, two lawyers in just the first half of the year. So if you're a donor to the Trump operation or you're considering giving money to Trump, I think that would be highly concerning. Um, you know, our campaign is focused on, uh, you know, substantive policy. You've seen this is a third major policy rollout in the last uh, month or so. Uh, the governor's going to paint a vision for where he wants to take this country. Um, and, you know, it's he has said repeatedly that uh, he thinks you know, I, I, the I, weaponization Phil, of the I, Justice Department. We need to continue to do that. Phil, I, Phil, I, under, I understand all that. But I, I look. In order to be the man, you got to beat the man. Donald Trump's the man to beat right now. Uh, he's 30 points up in Iowa. Trump is now, what, 14 points up as I do the math in New Hampshire. How long can you be in the number two spot before you actually take on the guy in the number one spot on a point that you just laid out is his most vulnerable spot? Well, look, Leland, you, you made the point earlier in the segment. Uh, it's early, okay? In 2015, okay. Scott Walker, Jeb Bush were the leading candidates nationally in the Republican primary. In 2007, Mike Huckabee, uh, governor of Arkansas, he was at 4% in the Iowa caucuses. He went on to win by 34 points. He went on to win with 34% of the vote. So it is incredibly early. Uh, what matters is the reception that these campaigns are getting on the ground. Uh, what matters is the organization. Uh, they're laying on the ground in these early primary states. Uh, we feel very confident uh, with how things are looking in Iowa, in New Hampshire, where he was today, and South Carolina's early primary states. So uh, you're going to see all these candidates probably sharpen their contrast messages here in the coming months. Um, you know, we've got an de important debate coming up here in just a couple of weeks. Uh, so stay tuned. All right. Fair. Well, we will be tuned. We'll be in Iowa next week for the State Fair. We'd love to see you guys while we're out there. Congrats on the new job, Phil. Uh, well, it's a volunteer position, so I wouldn't call it a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> All right, Phil, uh, thank you. Uh, does anybody here envy Phil Cox right now? No. He doesn't even no. want to get paid for it, man. <laughs> you know, uh, not to be too inside, and uh, please excuse me, America. Um, That's what you're here for. The the Phil the significance of Phil Cox here uh, is not the messaging; it's Phil Cox. Yeah. So uh, Ron DeSantis, meatball, uh, as Donald Trump calls him, had bad strategy, bad advice, bad team. He had replicated a lot of Ted Cruz's operation. Uh, he had Ted Cruz's, uh, the chief architect of Ted Cruz's losing, very expensive losing campaign, mm -hmm. running his super PAC. There was a lot of Cruzism, which is a good way to give a disappointing speech at the convention uh, and get booed by your home state uh, delegation. 
Uh, what you have in Phil Cox is somebody who is a Haley Barber guy, is a Republican Governor's Association yeah. guy. Uh, he's the real deal. And if Ron DeSantis is going to be the Republican nominee, his job, yes, it's to attack Trump. Yes, I'm not saying you shouldn't attack Trump. But what his real job is is to consolidate the rest of the support, to get every governor in the country, every Republican governor in the country, should feel pressure to endorse Ron DeSantis and do it early. They should feel pressure to be part of this, and he needs a governor strategy, and Phil Cox is a good choice. This this is telegraphing things to donors and supporters like, okay, should, maybe there's sense coming in. Bill, should it tell us something? And I think we have to give credit where credit's due. We all, we all laughed when he said, I'm, I'm not getting paid for it. The flip side is you, you do that because you believe. And you believe that he's got a chance. And you're, you're putting your very, very valuable and storied brand that Phil Cox has in Washington around the country, you're putting it on the line for Ron DeSantis. Yeah, and if you're a DeSantis supporter, one of the things that I hope they're doing is looking at the historical precedents of Rick Santorum and his surge in Iowa, right? Going out, jumping in the truck and driving 99 counties and actually going to the voters where they are don't show up with an entourage. Don't show up with anything flashy, but go meet them. And John McCain up in New Hampshire, who did the same thing um, when they were struggling. And so I do think there's a roadmap for a lot of these candidates to do it. They just need to be willing to put in Didn't the hard work. Didn't both of them work. end up losing? They did, but at least they were able to get the momentum coming out of those states. And it drove deep vests. into the delegate process. Yes. Well, and I think that's, that's part of the risk of an all-in Iowa strategy. strategy. Yes, of course you want to get that momentum coming coming out. But, you know, Donald Trump lost Iowa, went on to sweep the nomination. You see Ron DeSantis go to a state like New Hampshire, and it's difficult to answer a question like on abortion and some of these social issues. So I'm curious to see how someone like Phil Cox sort of, I don't want to say moderates, but maybe finesses those talking points when he goes outside of Iowa. Two quick things real quick. One, the the problem with looking at past campaigns as, well, this happened then, this person was up then, none of those candidates were afraid to knife one each each other at any point in time during those past primaries. Everyone seems to be afraid to knife Donald Trump, the front runner, the guy in the lead. Any of the candidates, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, Rick Santorum, whoever, would not have hesitated to knife the guy who was in the number one spot during their primaries. That's the difference. Well, they they did. They tried. It just didn't work in 2016. Yeah. Um, All right, coming up. On the attack, the White House boosting Vice President Kamala Harris, how she's embracing the new role ahead of the 2024 election. Chris Steyerwald, well, we're going we're gonna to flip the plan on him. He will be in the hot seat when we come back. Okay. One on one. Oh, yeah, here we go. Oh. <laughs> this episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. Now, the Biden campaign is trying to elevate the role of Vice President Kamala Harris in its re-election effort. The last 10 days, Harris has made two high-profile appearances, one in Jacksonville and one Friday in Iowa, where she went after Republicans for their positions on hot-button issues, the first one being the Ron DeSantis education issue in Florida, and then Iowa was abortion with Chris Tyrell. We have seen how many upteen zillion resets of Kamala Harris. Is, is this let Kamala be Kamala? I think, you know, let's do the framing. The historical role for a vice president 
uh, when, a pre when a sitting president is running for re-election is a tack dog. Uh, you can go all the way back if you want to to Spiro Agnew and Richard mm -hmm. Nixon, but the, the role for the vice president, Dick Cheney did this. Uh, Joe Biden did it. Joe, Joe Biden did this, which is they say the things that the president can't say or shouldn't say. President's running for the general election, but the vice president is, is running to suck up to the base, to keep the party happy, to attack the opposition. She can do friendly media. Uh, you know, she she does these, you know, patty cake sessions with friendly outlets. Uh, she uh, rallies the base. She talks about this stuff. And it's a pretty safe space for her. That said, she her unfavorabilities are worse than Joe Biden's. Yes. Her likability numbers are abysmal. She didn't forget even making it through Iowa. Didn't even make it to the Iowa caucuses when she ran for president. Part of that was because the voters saw her in large part as mean and divisive. And I'm wondering if that role now that she's embracing is working for the base. Because when it, when it came to Nashville, she was extraordinarily effective on the Tennessee Three, extraordinarily defective and defined the media news cycle for, what, now two weeks on Ron DeSantis' Florida education, and is trying to on abortion. I, I think you're giving her a lot of credit for having been uh, struggled for being seen as too mean and too divisive in the Democratic primary. I think what she was seen as was a lightweight and a nincompoop, right? Uh, the inappropriate I, laughter, I the, the inappropriate laughter, the uh, freezing up on stage, couldn't answer questions. She had this amazing campaign rollout in Oakland. It was spectacular. Team Obama is on board. She's got it. Uh, it's she, the nomination is hers. She's on her way. And then she. She just wasn't good at it. So the open question for uh, Kamala Harris is, can she, under duress, can she, in the face of intense scrutiny, can she do it this time? I think this is an easier role for her to fulfill. And I will promise you one thing. Mm -hmm. Ron DeSantis would like Kamala Harris to come to Florida every week and denounce him. If he could get her to come to Florida, just a weekly appointment to come down to Florida and denounce Ron DeSantis, uh, it would be worth 10 points for him in the Republican nominating contest uh, uh, if, it would just be a, a godsend. She's, if, if you want Ron DeSantis to be the nominee, just pray for more Kamala Harris coming after him. All right. We will see if the prayers are answered. Coming up in America, from guns to shoplifting, it's affecting every city across the United States. Tonight, News Nation Live Town Hall on the issue of crime in America. Preview of that and how it's going to play in the 2024 election when we come back. All right, poll after poll shows crime across the United States is a critical issue in battleground states. Of course, there's also the battles around police reform. Rates for certain types of crime are soaring. Car theft, for example, is up nearly 34% year over year. Some are pointing to the criminal justice system as the reason. According to exclusive News Nation polling, 58% of registered voters think that criminal justice system is not tough enough on crime. 21% say it's about right. 11% think it's too tough. Big News Nation Town Hall with Chris Cuomo is tonight. News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Enton with us from Chicago, a city that has had its own issues with crime. Hi, Brian. Hey, Leland. Yeah, I've been covering crime all over the country for the last year or so. Uh, you know, Atlanta, Chicago, been to Philly. I was just in Little Rock, Kansas City. It's really, it's really sadly the same story in most of those cities. It's gotten really, really bad, peaked during the pandemic. 
In some of the cities, they've made a little bit of an improvement, but still much higher than it was pre-pandemic. Violent crime in the rise in a lot of these cities with murders. We were just in Little Rock, uh, you know, shootings pretty much every day there. The neighbors say the funeral home says they're busy, very sadly, with teen funerals uh, from these shootouts uh, in the suburbs. You've got robberies, uh, you've got burglaries, car break-ins, and because the police are so strapped dealing with the violent crime and there's a shortage of police officers, oftentimes they don't have the time to go out and investigate those lower-level crimes, which really have an impact on people. You call 911 in many of these cities. It can be a 10-minute wait unless you're dealing with something very, very serious. Uh, and people are just frustrated. Shoplifting on the rise. I saw your tweet the other day, Leland, uh, talking about the Oreos being locked up. In New York, I was just in the Chicago Walgreens yesterday. Pretty much everything was behind uh, lock and key. I had to get deodorant and wait. And then when the lady came to unlock it to give me my deodorant, uh, she mentioned that even the shoplifters now have replicated the keys. So even though they, they lock everything up now, the shoplifters have made their own keys. So they've even found a way to get around that, Leland. Fascinating. Uh, but you did get your deodorant. I did. I actually got two okay. because you, know, you have to wait. You push a little button and then you right, have to you push the button, short staffed, of course. Yeah. So you have to wait. How do they so replicate like the keys? Well That's fascinating. At a time. Do they have any idea yeah, how they, they replicate the keys? The keys? How? No, but how do they I get don't the original? Know. They, they like, buy it from... She didn't say. I don't yeah. know. But, but I found that fascinating that now they've even found yeah. a way uh, to get past the little plexiglass. Yeah, it is. All right, Brian, thank you very much. We'll see you tonight, obviously, for the town hall. Oakland, California, just one city where crime is boiling. The city's NAACP branch and its religious leaders say crime represents an emergency. In a letter, they expressed their frustration, saying failed leadership and unwillingness to charge and prosecute murderers, among others, is creating a heyday for Oakland criminals. Oakland NAACP President Cynthia Adams joined On Balance Friday, where she talked a little bit about why she decided to send that letter. I had to say something. We was too quiet. We was too quiet. And as you know, the old saying say, a closed mouth never get fed. And we had to open our mouth. We had to say something. And it's not just about one race. It's about everybody. I thought it was remarkable when you read the letter, and I saw it on Friday and said this is something sort of truly extraordinary is for the NAACP, the Oakland chapter, basically to have to say it is not racist to want criminals arrested, prosecuted, and thrown in jail. The fact that they're having to say that, Kurt, I think doesn't it by definition represent for suburban voters in Atlanta, uh, Charlotte, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, this is, I don't want to say an existential threat for Democrats, but it's a threat. Well, I mean, I think we saw just even in the midterms how crime was the number one issue that was p- pushed by the Republicans, but also on voters' actual minds. Yeah. Uh, even even more so than the economy at times, which is something we haven't really seen a lot in recent years. So, yeah, this is important. This is something that hits close to home. This isn't complicated public policy where you can't wrap your arms around what the difference is between one side or the other. People understand crime. People understand what it can be like to worry about your safety, the safety of your things, the safety of your children, your neighborhoods, your home, your job place, your car. That's something that's very understandable, and that's why it's so potent. It's one of the issues that are going to cut across economy, school safety, all of the things that families and small businesses care about, and it has a material impact on each of those issues. And so I think for Oakland to stand up now and say, okay, enough is enough, this isn't racist, we need to start enforcing the laws, I think really is a sea change. 
And some of these prosecutors who have been put in place who have decided we're not going to enforce the law in the books, but we're going to selectively prosecute what we want, um, I think voters are going to start demanding that. A lot of people don't remember that in 2022 there were some prosecutors on Long Island, I think in Stanton Island, uh, who were Democrats who were defeated. Nobody saw it coming. Mm-hmm. And the voters actually reacted and voted they them out of office. the prosecuting attorney in San Francisco. Yeah. Chester I mean, it's, it's a real grassroots movement. It's not something from the top down. I think families and small businesses have had enough. That's why we lost some of those seats in New York, outside of New York City, because that was the issue, that crime was the number one issue in those suburban New York City mm-hmm. communities. Yeah, That's why Sean Patrick Maloney lost his seat, frankly. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, Brian, thanks to, to Brian for his reporting, great reporting. Chris Cuomo hosts a live audience from across the country, giving viewers their chance to put questions to people in power. We're talking about mayors, police chiefs, and the like. 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on News Nation. Coming up, gender and politics. There's a growing divide among Gen Z. Boys are leaning right, girls are leaning left. Why is that big shift happening? See you in a minute. I think we needed the shot on Kurt Bardella as we came in, not on me. That was the moment Public Square went public. Public Square is an anti-woke marketplace whose values are pro-life, pro-family, pro-freedom. They're targeting customers who are conservative and dissatisfied with companies that have embraced liberal values. Public Square has over 1 million users, 55,000 businesses selling on its platform. All right. Uh, so what? Now, this is like the public, this, this is the Amazon of Black Rifle Coffee? I'm glad that Donald Trump Jr. is avoiding selling his father's name and political influence. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. It's the opposite of that. I'm sorry. I got, I got mixed up there for a second. Um, you know, people who are addicted to politics, people who can't, who, who have disordered attachments, are likely to make their choices uh, for what kind of toilet tissue they buy or anything else based on politics. Uh, people have been doing it on the left, on climate stuff and those kinds of things for years. Now the right is catching up, which is uh, who you are as a person has to define. It's every single choice that you make in your life all the way down to your shoelaces. You know, there's also a dating app. I can't remember the name of it, but right it is for the right stuff for <laughs> conservatives. For con- I, it's fascinating. It just seems like everything right now creates a marketplace for everyone to go into their respective silos. Mm-hmm. And well, and, 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 and you can, right? If the, the Internet sort of allowed that. Right. Now. The democratization of, of so many parts of American life have, have done that. I, I guess I'll, I'll give you the last word, Bill. Sort of, is there a way to come back from it? Uh, not in the foreseeable future, but hopefully we'll be able to do it. I just think America has just retreated to the, book, to the corners. Um, on this and people are looking to hang out with people who agree with themselves and you know one of the things we just talked about um, with some of the young people i hope that at some point somehow we're able to start teaching these young people it's okay to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't agree with you Mm -hmm. and that you can actually test your own ideas and whether you actually believe in them to listen to people who oppose your point of view what's funny is is if you ask people in focus groups or in polling do you want to do that they all say yes yeah, but then you gotta do it. But right. then you, gotta then you actually it. have to. That's always the, that's always the, that's always the problem. I, I think it's boring to talk to people who agree with you on everything. What is the point of that? It's just so boring to live that way. I love talking to different people who have different perspectives. I like doing things like this, where you know all what? of us here have a very different vantage point, and it's fun. We're going to mark the tape. I think that's a News Nation promo that has just been made. Thank you very much to the panel. A great show. Glad to have all of you. 
Elizabeth Vargas reports starts at the top of the hour. 20 seconds from now, she's going to dig into the latest news on Lori Vallow, who was sentenced to life in prison today for the murder of her two children. Elizabeth's going to speak to a former homicide prosecutor, Matt Murphy. See you back tomorrow for The Hill at 5 p.m. I'll see you for On Balance. Power, sex, and greed. That's what prosecutors say drove... This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.